Hey, welcome. So glad that you're joining us today, wherever you're watching from. I know we've got people watching in their homes all across the uh, United Kingdom and indeed around the world. If you're a part of a family church congregation, that's brilliant. We're so glad that you're back with us today. And if you've joined our journey over these last 15, 16 months, uh, we're so glad that you're a part of a family church vision and what God's given us to do. And also, I know today we're broadcasting on uh, the Britannia uh, cruise ship, which is amazing isn't it the opportunities that we can get and a big shout out to those who are watching on the Britannica cruise ship today that we're now um, having our service playing on that cruise ship on a Sunday morning we've got a big vision moving forward of what we can do with our online congregation we're getting ready to gather together in our congregations across the UK but also we've got an incredible vision to take the online congregation to places that God wants it to go including hospitals and the military So we want you to make sure that if you're going to be a part of our online congregation, which has connect groups, it has pastoral care, it's not just about watching on Sunday, that you send us an email and you let us know that you want to remain a part of this online community or online congregation that we've got. I'm so excited about what God's doing in this moment. It feels like spring is in the air, but we're coming out of a bit of a winter time. We're coming out of an unusual, unprecedented season into something that's not catching God by surprise. Rather, I just sense the power of the Holy Spirit really leading his church now as we've come through a time of pruning into a time of flourishing, a time of strong growth. And we're in the middle of a series. And if you've been away, welcome you join us in the middle of a series. The good news is you can catch up on the previous parts just by going to our uh, our website uh, page or to our FC Live page. And it's all on there, which is good news. Now, we're speaking on the series called Commissioned, and it's a cultural message for us. It's not just a standalone message about Christian life. This is things that we're talking about in our church leadership of what we believe God wants family church in our physical congregations and our online congregation to be passionate about committed to as we move forwards into the next season that God's got for us. And so there's a lot of vision in what I'm sharing about what you're going to be experiencing in family church in the season that we're in and the one that we're going to move through next. And now we've been basing this series on those incredible verses from Matthew 28 verses 19 to 20, known as the Great Commission verses. And there's three uh, key things that we're focusing on in this series that we draw from these statements that Jesus made, not just to his church then, 2000 plus years ago, but still to us today. Now we know the Great Commission, it mentions a going, it mentions making disciples, it mentions baptism, it mentions teaching people to walk in obedience to the things that the Lord has taught us to do. So we're focusing over the last two weeks that go on, the one we're in and next week on three things. Number one, go. But we're an outward looking people. As we begin to move forward into the next that the Lord's got for us, we are more outward looking than we've ever 
ever been as a church, looking to places that God wants to um, cause us to invade his presence in, take his goodness into. So we're going to be more than ever before. We've always been an outward looking people, but more than ever before, we're going to be an outward looking people as we commit to the great go mission. We're going to be a go people, not a stay people. But also we started talking last week about making disciples. We're going to continue that today. And then the third part, teaching kingdom life. When I talk about teaching people to obey all the things that Jesus has commanded, Jesus brought and communicated to this world a better way of living called kingdom life. And we're going to be looking at that next week. But today, let's stay focused on our journey. We've looked at the go of the Great Commission outward looking. We've looked at the Lord has called us to go and do something. He didn't just say go. If he just said go, we'd end up in the middle of a field walking around looking up going, we went, but we're not sure why. But Jesus was very specific. He said, no, your going has uh, an agenda to it. Go and. Go and what? Go and make disciples, be disciple makers. This wasn't just a commission to the church leadership of that time or today, but to every believer, every person that's a follower of Jesus Christ. So we spoke last week about the first steps of discipleship, but we want to be um, a people, a church family who are passionate, not just about introducing other people to Jesus or causing them to encounter him, not encounter religion. We don't need any more religion, but causing people in our going to encounter Jesus in a radical life changing way. We're fully committed to that, but we also want to then help them to move from experience experiencing a conversion in their heart, which they needed. Every man, every woman, every child needs a conversion in their heart that can only be done by God. But what we want to do more and better at than we've ever done before is then taking people who have encountered Jesus and help them to move from convert to learner. People who are followers of Jesus in their daily life, not just carrying a passport or salvation or singing songs about what happens one day when they die, but rather people who are now committed to growing in their relationship with God. That's what we would term discipleship. Discipleship could seem a scary word. It's not a scary word. It means to be a learner. It means to be a follower. It means to be somebody that's not just going to sit on their blessed assurance and go, I'm saved and let me get on with my life until Jesus comes and collects me. But rather people that say, come on, we want to know the one who saved us. We want to know what he did for us in our salvation. We want to know how he would have us to live now. That's the sound of disciples. Now we looked last week very much at the entrance level, if you like, or the first steps of discipleship, that when we meet somebody and we introduce them to Jesus and a person has an opportunity to encounter Jesus, we then, according to Matthew 28, lead them through quite an entrance level discipleship where we teach them the baptisms. I say isms uh, in plural because there's two baptisms that are actually the agenda of God for every person's life. We know that a person's to be baptized in water, repent, be baptized in water so that they can receive the Holy Spirit, which is a secondary baptism. The first baptism just screams of how they've now lost their old life, been risen to newness of life in Christ. But the secondary baptism of a receiving of the empowerment of the spirit is now the ability to live out that life so that you don't do with the new one the things you did to the old one so both those baptisms are important but that would really be our entrance level thinking concerning helping a person to become a learner and a follower of Jesus 
Now, our desire is to have a commitment to help people take the first steps, but also the then steps to being a follower. Now, a lot of what Christianity is about, when you hear it in the CDs, the tape sets, the video stuff, it's about that moment of finding him. But we need to understand that the joy is not just in finding him, but it's walking with him, growing in him, learning of him, developing an intimacy to hearing his voice and knowing his ways. And that's what we really want to put incredible focus on as we move forward into what God's got for us next as a church, whether that's physically meeting or our online congregation, is simply this, helping people to grow, helping people to grow in their relationship with the Lord. So as we begin to think about what family church will be moving forward, we want to have a culture of discipleship where our focus moving forwards is how can we have an environment with each other when we're in small groups, when we're in our gathered services, when we're walking in friendship with each other, where we're actually experiencing a discipleship in that we're provoking each other, growing each other, helping each other to begin to develop a more intimate walk with the Lord than we've ever known before. So to me, there's two aspects to this. There's us who are already saved and what discipleship should look like for us in our daily lives, but also the agenda or plan we have for those who are going to be saved. You know, as soon as our doors are open and I'm believing for people to flood in that we've been reaching in one way or another through our community projects, our online broadcasting. I really believe we're going to have a lot of new family that are going to come through our doors when we begin to gather again. But we've got an agenda and a plan for their well-being that isn't, well, get them saved and sit them there, but rather know as quick as we can Let's get them to be learners and people that walk with Jesus in their daily life. So not just Sunday church attenders. But let me just focus for a moment on us, because before we can make and by us, I mean us who are already saved, us who have already encountered Jesus, whether it was 40 years ago, 50 years ago, um, 40 weeks ago, 40 minutes ago, us that already now have encountered Jesus because What we've got to understand is making disciples starts with being disciples. We can only help people to become what we are. Otherwise, there's an element of hypocrisy or projection that's not genuine. And what we want to do as people who have given their lives to Jesus, received salvation, become disciples and followers, is we want to be committed also to making sure that our lives are walking in discipleship and not just conversion, that we're challenging ourselves, that we're allowing the word and the spirit to be affecting our week and not just our Sundays. Now, there's three things that I believe that we can focus on when we just park for a moment the thought of helping others to find Christ and walk in discipleship. And we look a little bit just for a moment on us, us being disciples. Number one, it's asking ourselves a question Are we walking in mentorship type relationships? That's really important because discipleship, 
Yes, there's a classroom aspect to it, and we're going to be committed to having great courses that introduce the foundations of the faith to new believers, have freedom courses that help people to get baggage off of their lives. We love the element of um, classroom discipleship, but what we're focusing on more and more is rather the relational discipleship of people walking in mentorship type relationships with one another. That makes us more vulnerable, but I tell you, it's powerful. I am so thankful for the mentorship relationships in my life that help me to keep growing. Within the church, I've got mentorship relationships with our leadership, but we walk together in mentorship where we're challenging each other. Well, what does God say about that? What's the Lord's perspective on that? But also in my life, I've positioned people to speak into my world, not just within the church context of us journeying together. But, you know, for me, the last few years, um, I've had an incredible time of growth in my life because um, I developed a mentorship relationship with a man who's become more like a sage in my life. He's an older man, Pastor Colin Urquhart. And the growth I've seen in my life personally, not just as a leader, but as a man, really I can track a lot of that, of that too when I said to this man, listen, I want to surrender my life to you to speak honestly to me, to address things where I'm wrong, to to talk to me about things that you see in my life. It's amazing. I felt the Lord calling me to do that. And when I'd done that, it, end, it, it took my life to a stronger place of growing and deepening. Now, what we want to do in Family Church is make sure that people are almost in this, this trilogy of mentorship relationships that are natural, unforced, non-religious. My ideal is you're in the middle and you have people above you who are speaking into your life and helping you to go deeper, go higher, run faster. But also you've got people that you're putting into. To me, that's a perfect picture of the discipleship that we want to see happen in a relational way within our congregations, that people are not a law unto themselves. Listen, some of this modern theology that people don't need church, they don't need other people, they just need to sit in their living room with God on their own. It's rubbish. It's ridiculous. The Bible says that a person like that seeks their own. They seek their own and rages against wise wisdom. You see, the body of Christ need each other, but we don't need each other in mere attending meetings together. We need each other that we're walking in powerful, real mentorship relationships where all of us have people who have gone further with the Lord that are speaking into our lives, maybe on different areas. They've had success walking with the Lord further than we've been. Oh, we all need the voices of that sage-like voice speaking into us wisdom that will help us grow. But also God wants us at the same time, (coughs) forgive me, uh, at the same time to have a voice into people who haven't gone as far as us. The good news is that Christianity is a journey. Blessed are those who set their heart on pilgrimage. They will go from strength to strength until they appear before the Lord one day in Zion, going through valleys of weeping, going through places of rejoicing. Listen, we are stronger together. Don't let any spirit of this modern age pull you away from the church community that God has ordained for you to be in and growing with. Don't let some crazy sound to the left or the right uproot you from a place where you know if you stick around, you can grow. 
God is bringing us into a time of growth. But some of that growth is us just having that simple commitment of finding people in our church community, finding people who have walked further or faster than us and saying, would you speak into my life? But also remember, it's not one sided. Bringing people with us, teaching them what we've learned so that we deliver ourselves from being a platform led ministry to rather being a a community of people walking together, following Jesus together in a life transforming way. Now, number two, we need to also, again, still referring to us, we need to make sure that we're committing in our hearts to take the posture or position of a disciple and not just crowd. You see, in the Bible, you can read about two types or categories of people. There were crowds and there were disciples. Now, wherever Jesus went, there was a crowd and he always blessed the crowd and did great things for the crowd. He healed their sick. He delivered them from anything that was binding them. But at the same moment, he had disciples who were following him. And to me, the powerful life change was experienced in being a follower with Jesus, not just somebody in a crowd watching Jesus. I want to encourage you, no matter how long you've been walking with Jesus, have your heart set on walking with him, not just attending things where he's doing things. Now, thank God for our services. Thank God. I believe we're coming into gatherings where we're going to see miracles, signs and wonders and incredible things happening as we enjoy the made known presence or manifest presence of God together. But come on, it's about our Monday, our Tuesday, our Wednesday, our Thursday. See, I read the Bible and I can remember sometimes uh, it was a little while ago reading the Bible and just watching how Jesus operated with the crowds. <clears throat> Every time he got near a crowd, they were saying, gimme, 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 do for me, do for me. You need to do this. You did this for him. Now do it for me. And I remember asking the Lord a very honest question. I said, did you never get tired of the crowds just taking from you, taking from you, but not committing to change? And that's when I really felt the Lord say to me, no, because I had a whole nother ministry over here with another group of people that brought delight to my heart I was raising disciples so I was ministering to the crowd but at the same moment I was walking and raising with disciples having conversations from Caesarea to Jerusalem we did more work in growing their lives in our journeys to big events than what happened in their lives at big events you see here's the bottom line there's two experiences to being a Christian you can go for a crowd experience or a disciple experience if you do a crowd experience you will watch miracles if you do a disciple experience you get to handle them I'm going to go for the second one. Remember, the disciples got to handle the bread and the fish when it was broken. The miracle took place in their hands as they ministered to the crowd. I don't want to be somebody that just sits and watch what God does on a weekly basis. I want to be walking with him. I want to be journeying with him. I I need people in my life to help me see him like I've not seen him. I need to bring people with me. That's the culture I'm talking about that we really want stronger than ever before within family church. Now, if you imagine with me two washing lines, if you have the washing lines representing the extremes of an experience, if you have one washing line here and that could be crowd and you have one washing line here that's disciple, the reality is that no one's at an absolute of either pole. Um, We're all on the journey somewhere in between. And I want to encourage you and I want family church to be encouraging, uh, encouraging everyone that calls it home to be moving away from crowd towards follower even if it's an inch even if it's two inches a week God will take that and he'll do wonderful things in your life 
Because the bottom line is we all were crowd when we first met him. We all came to him because we needed something. We needed peace. We needed healing. We needed something. We needed him. So we were all very much like crowd, but we weren't ordained to remain crowd. Remember, Jesus was constantly giving people opportunity to leave the crowd and to become a follower. I really believe that God's not being selective in doing that today. He wants every one of us to be ever moving away from the initial crowd experience about what what he can do for us to being followers in our weekly life that have incredible celebrations when we gather of life's now committed to being learners and followers. And the third thing I think when it talks about us is it's about us taking personal responsibility for our growth curve. There should be a growth curve within your walk with the Lord. You shouldn't be at the same point as you were 10 years ago, even a year ago. I want to get to a point that every week I see a growth curve in my walk with him. I say, hey, Lord, wow, you changed that or you developed that. You're responsible for your growth curve. You can bring sages and mentors in to help you continue to ascend in the things of the Lord. But at the end of the day, you've got to be a self-feeder. You've got to be someone that says, remember, I'm talking to believers now, not to those that we're bringing into the kingdom, helping them to take their first steps. I'm talking to you as a Christian. If you've been saved for any amount of months or years, there should be a self-feeding, a maturing that's happening in your life. That you love the ministry of the word that comes from the platform, but you just love living in the word also for yourself. That means that you're a disciple, you're a learner, you're a follower. Now, when we look at Paul traveling, he had expectations of growth in those who had believed. We should have in our own life's expectation of growth. If we look at our life and nothing's changed in the last four years of walking with Jesus, that should concern us. It should concern us. If we've got the same attitudes, the same habits, the same problems, that should concern us. It means that there's a sign of a crowd experience built on moments instead of a daily encounter experience of walking with him. Now, when Paul turned up at a place, I love reading in Corinthians and Hebrews, he actually was saying, no, you should have grown by now. You should have grown. That's why we need mentors in our life. They're not judging us, but saying, no, no, you should have grown by now. Come on, grow. And they enable us to keep a growth curve upwards, never downwards, always upwards. Listen to how Paul spoke to the Corinthian church. When he turned up in Corinth in chapter one, I'm going to start reading in verse one of chapter three. Listen to how Paul's got an expectation of growth in the life of the believer. Brothers and sisters, I could not address you as people who live by the spirit, but as people who are still worldly. Or mere infants in Christ, I give you milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. Indeed, you are still not ready Because you're still worldly, for since there is jealousy and quarrelling and all that stuff, you're just acting like a a bunch of kids instead of the people that you should be maturing into. So Paul said, listen, I came to bring you filet mignon. I came to bring you the best Brazilian cooked steak, but you haven't got the teeth to handle it. You still need to be weaned on milk. Paul had an expectation. It's good when I gave you milk. But you shouldn't be on milk now. We want to make sure that people in family church are not staying on milk longer than what they should, but they're growing their meat teeth. Another example is in Hebrews. If you turn to the book of Hebrews, 
chapter 5. Again, Paul's now speaking, he's, he's speaking here, and it says in Hebrews 5, and I'll start reading in verse 11. We have much to say about this, but it's hard to make it clear to you because you no longer try to understand. Isn't that awesome? The disciple, the apostle was saying, I've got so much about God that I want to teach you, but I'm struggling teaching you because you no longer try to understand. In fact, by this time, you ought to be teachers but you still need someone to teach you. There's nothing wrong with teaching. Listen to what he says next. You still need someone to teach you the elementary foundation truths of God all over again. You still need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk being still an infant is not acquainted with the teaching of righteousness and other really, really good food that God's got for you. So in family church, we want a non-guilt, passion, desire-driven heart within who we are, not just for those who are coming to the Lord, but for ourselves to be people who have a, a healthy growth curve. That's the sign of discipleship and being a learner. So, okay, that's us. Now let's talk about those who we see coming in and finding faith in our gatherings, wherever they may be, whether that's in homes or whether in buildings, whenever we gather together. And remember, we're committed to the gathering in temples and the gathering in homes, if you want to put it in a biblical context. Again, there's some very ignorant people today teaching that church shouldn't gather together in temples or in large meetings. It's meant to be a handful of people in a home. The ignorance comes that they don't understand the culture of a household of the people in the time that that was happening, because it actually wasn't a living room that held four people. It was a courtyard where there was actually quite a lot of people that were meeting in the households when they met. But if you don't understand the culture of Israel, you'll you'll come up with this little picture. Me and three others in our living room, that's church. We don't want anything to do with big church. Yes, you do. You've just got offended. Deal with your offence or you're ignorant concerning the purpose of church in your life. So why not get educated rather than cut yourself off from something that God's got for you? We want both. We want powerful big gatherings, temple moments where we gather together, experience the manifold presence of God. But we're also fully committed to be we've always been fully committed to small groups we want big church and small church we want healthy big churches that speak to the life of our cities towns and villages but also healthy connect groups where people are discipling each other in their daily lives it's not either or my friends it's both now when we look at our lives all right you can have that little bit that little burst of energy there for nothing that comes free but when we come back to focusing on those who are coming in to our gatherings whether we're meeting in the temple in our church services or whether in our homes or we meet them in our going and in our communities what we understand is we don't want to leave them in their conversion moment and we're putting a lot of time and a lot of structure and a lot of vision into how we are now as a church going to handle or bless or care for those who find faith in our congregations. And we're going to be more deliberate than we've ever been. I want to share some of those things with you today. I find them very exciting. What we're saying is we're not going to leave people in incubators. We're not going to leave people born and left in the gutter. In fact, we're going to retain a passion for getting people to experience the conversion in their heart that only God can bring to a new birth experience, to be born from above. 
but also straight away, we're going to help them to begin to develop their meat teeth and their ability to walk with him. All right. That's our passion. Just being out upfront, honest with you of what you can experience in family church moving forward in a non tacky, cheesy religious way. Now, when we're discipling people from their moment of conversion or new birth, it involves a whole number of things. It really does. It involves so many things as they begin to now navigate and manage the new life that God has given them. They've awoken in a brand new life that in many ways is nothing like the one they knew before. We want to be there ready from the moment of their new birth when they're born from above to help them to understand what's going on in their life. Now, I've written here one key element that we need to help people to journey successfully in is to help them move from carnal, soul-led living to spirit-led life. They can be two very, very different things. Up to the point of conversion or salvation, redemption, reconciliation, any of those words fit very well. A person is led by their soul because their spirit, through what happened with Adam and Eve, is dead to God. When Adam left the garden, he died as God said he would. But everyone in his loin died to God also. But in Christ, we come alive again to God, that we remain a body, a soul, but now our spirit is alive to his spirit, now living within us, in us and on us. Isn't that powerful? So suddenly you've got somebody that was dead to God in the spirit, alive to God in the spirit. You've now got somebody that never had the Holy Spirit living in them, experiencing the voice and the presence of God now living in them and wanting to lead them in different directions. That can be really confusing. That's why people that get born again in our meetings need somebody who knows the journey more than them to come alongside them and help them to navigate the soul life life that they knew before in comparison to this new God spirit led life that's happening within them. So it's helping them to, I call it, live the right way round. That up to this point, all they've known is the leadership of the soul in their life. The soul is selfish. It is. The soul is selfish. The soul unconnected from God's spirit is just selfish. It seeks its own. It seeks its own well-being. It seeks what's best for us. It seeks what's more comfortable for us. What do I get out of this? The soul-led man is uh, inherently selfish. He has good moments, but he's inherently selfish. Then suddenly the Holy Spirit comes to live in this person that's only ever known the leading of their own soul. And it's like a new boy comes into the office and says, I'm in charge now. We're not doing it that way anymore. That's not God's way for your life. People need others to walk alongside them in relational discipleship to help them navigate these moments. It's like suddenly there's two lives now living in them. The life they knew before was, which was the life they'd only ever known, which was their soul life. But all of a sudden, somebody who's been born again or born from above now says, what's this new life? There's a new voice in my life. I, I, I'm desiring new things and different things. Our discipleship programs for those coming into new birth and salvation is to help people navigate the two lives that are now in them. A beautiful picture of this we can find in Genesis. If you turn to Genesis, 
It's actually referred to in Romans chapter 9 also. But I want to read from Genesis. And it's that moment in Genesis 25 where suddenly Rebecca's praying. You remember there was Isaac and his wife was Rebecca. She had the two children within her. Um, and she had this moment where she had two lives within her. One would be born first and one would be born second. This morning in our worship, you would have seen our wonderful worship team from Waterside, the twins, as they hate being called, Ian and Carl. Now, they're twins because they were in the womb at the same time, but one was born first. And I'm not even going to get into an argument with them or a debate on that now. We don't need that. They're sitting watching me in the studio. Now, this was the same moment for Rebecca. Rebecca had two lives and the Bible actually said two nations living in her but one of them would be in charge now stay with me because this is an interesting parallel Isaac prayed to the Lord it says in verse 21 of chapter 25 of Genesis Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife always be praying for your wives because she was a childless the Lord answered his prayer and his wife Rebecca became pregnant the babies jostled each other within her all right. And that's what can sometimes happen. Now, some of you have already worked out where I'm going. There was a jostling within her of two nations or two lives. And she said, why is this happening to me, Lord? That's what many new believers say the moment after they're born again. Why do I not love what I once loved? Why do I now desire different things? It's because there's now two nations within their life where there was only formerly one. And so he says, why is this happening? So she went to inquire of the Lord. Now, listen to the Lord's response. The Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb and two peoples from within you will be separated. One people will be stronger than the other. Now, listen to me. The older will serve the younger. Now, I'm not even going to get into this with our twins from Waterside, Carl, and, and I don't want to know who was born first. Don't want to f- cause any family issues because a lot of the time people only ever use this verse was, well, I'm, I'm the second born, which means the Bible says the first guy should be serving me. You know, I'm actually a second born child, so I'm actually in the good part of that interpretation. But it's actually really got nothing to do with that. There's a couple of things that I want you to see from this scripture. Number one, suddenly this lady had two lives inside of her that were contending with each other. And one life was destined to be stronger and to be the one who was in charge. And it actually wasn't the first life, it was the second life. The older will serve the younger. This is an incredible picture of what happens in our life at the moment of new birth. At the moment of new birth, there's the soul life that we've known. It's all we've ever lived with from the moment we were born. Suddenly, at new birth, another life is born in us, which in many ways is a younger life to the one that we previously knew, the soul-led life. But God turns around and says, the newer, the younger spirit life that's now in you, in Christ, is in charge, not the older soul life that you once knew. Which means suddenly, new Christians have to navigate giving authority and leadership to the Holy Spirit now living in them, desiring to lead them, which often means pushing that which they once knew, the former or older leadership, under submission to the one who's actually younger. That's where we find successful growth curves in our walk with the Lord. You see, many Christians try and make the Holy Spirit serve their soul, 
and he will never do that. But he'll always be present within you to help you bring your soul under his wisdom, leadership and guidance. You can see some Christians grow or not grow from this very simple thought. You see, when I meet people, there's normally three categories of people. There's the unsaved, the carnal Christians and the spiritual Christians. You normally meet, I meet those three people, the unsaved, those who haven't encountered Jesus yet, haven't had the opportunity to be filled with God's spirit. Then you have carnal Christians who are born again. They're going to heaven. Their, their, their spirits are saved. If they were to die, they would be present with God. Their names are in the Lamb's book of life, but they're not changing. It's because they've maintained a carnal way of living or a soulish way of living, even though they've now been born again from above. And then you meet the third category of person, which is a person that's born again, but they're a spiritual Christian. Now, you know, they're a spiritual Christian because you watch the way they now act in circumstances. You hear the way they now speak about certain things. You watch how they now humble themselves before the Lord, walk in the way of the Lord rather in their own desires. They now walk to profit others and not themselves like they used to in their soulish realm of living. So the question is, hopefully no one watching this is unsaved. If you are, just give your life to Jesus and that's resolved really quickly. But are you a carnal Christian or are you a spiritual Christian? Again, these could be washing lines, couldn't they? Nobody's uh, an absolute carnal Christian and nobody's an absolute spiritual Christian. But we need to be ever journeying away from carnality, milk drinking, shallow understanding of God, making the spirit be subject to the soul when just like with Rebecca, no, no, the, the, the older is to serve the younger. The older life that you knew is to now serve the newer life that you received when you were born again in Christ Jesus. So this is the stuff we want to do. We want to help people to navigate the new life, the new birth, the transformation of God that's happening in their world. So in family church, moving forward in regard to those who are, be, uh, are giving their life to Christ in our services or in our, in our times when we meet each other, we want to be relational in our discipleship, not just educational. We will have courses, we will have classes, but when it comes to the 101 of discipleship, helping a person to journey from conversion to being a follower and somebody that walks in their daily life with Jesus, we want to be ready for action. And uh, we've got a powerful plan, I believe, that's going to enable us to do that. And it's about no new programs, no, 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 no new teaching sessions. It's about a culture of disciple making. The culture of family church moving forward is still going to be a soul winning culture because we're a go people. But we're not just going for no reason. We're a disciple making culture. Now, stay with me. I want to unpack some of my thoughts very quickly for what it will look like for somebody getting saved or born again in our meetings from this point on. So I want in family church to us have a culture of disciple making. We could call that DMs, disciple makers. Now, disciple makers are anyone that's walking with the Lord. Now, what we want to do is get every person from this point that's born again. Let's just use the example of on a Sunday. We have our Sunday services. Somebody hears the gospel. They respond to the Lord. There's many other contexts that we could use as example for salvation, platforms for salvation. But let's just use a Sunday one because we're all familiar with that in our understandings. 
So on Sunday, I say, hey, does anyone want to give their life to the Lord? Three or four people give their, uh, put their, give, pray the prayer and put their hands up and they start their journey of walking with the Lord, entering into the first part of salvation. What we want to do now is not just go, hey, see you next week or just say, listen, we'll send you stuff through the email. We don't want to be casual. In fact, my dream is this. From the moment they've lifted their hands, they're in our family. They've come into our lounge in our welcome room. They've joined our time together. They've now become family because they've become a part of a family of God. So instantly we put a disciple maker with them who walks with them for six weeks. So instead of us going, well, okay, we'll see you next week. Hope you have a good week. And again, our new believers teams have done amazing jobs in our congregation over the last few years. But I believe God's taking us to another level of care. It's really about every person that's getting born again, and I'm believing for hundreds and thousands, to be assigned a disciple maker. That doesn't mean a leader in the church, but somebody that's got a good, solid walk with the Lord. Someone to walk with them through the first, five, first six weeks that have got a mission, right, to help them to unpack now what God has done and wants to do. Now, what does this look like for me? It looks like, okay, somebody's in the meeting, they hear the good news of the gospel, they're given an opportunity to respond, they put their hand up, they give their life to Jesus, or they allow Jesus to come into their life. Instantly, we've got a team in all of our congregations, including our online congregation, that come alongside that person and say, that's the best decision you've ever made in your life. But now, hey, can we introduce you to someone? And we match that person with somebody that's like them. Um, you know, age, uh, type of person, the best we can. We draw from our family somebody who's a really good fit for that person. And we say, can I introduce you to this person? They're going to be walking with you the next six weeks to help you to develop your footsteps in God. Um, and, and that person's going to help them to get through water baptism, um, Holy Spirit baptism, to understand basic principles of kingdom life that every new believer should know. And that means that these disciple makers, DMs, will be ringing them that afternoon. So that person comes home and instantly the devil lies to them. What did you do this morning? But they get a phone call from their disciple maker saying, listen, that decision you made this morning was the best decision you ever made in your life. The next week when the devil's trying to stop them getting to church so that they can continue to grow with their church family, the disciple maker takes the initiative, rings them the night before and says, I'm going to be meeting you at church tomorrow. The disciple maker is there to talk to them throughout those six weeks about the basic fundamentals. Well, you may say, I don't know what to share with them. You already know more than them and what you know, they need to know. So it's not about, are you a theologian? Did you do 10 years in seminary school or theology college? It's about you need to now take responsibility for that person to help them to understand all the things that God has already taught you, especially around what's happened in their salvation. And so we're going to have reference manuals with this that every disciple maker can go to that contains 24 key aspects of things. It's not a course. It's a reference manual. So that when you're discipling someone, you can say, you know, this week I'm going to talk to this person about the new creation. And you're going to have all the information you need in the pack that we provide that you have enough information on the new creation to teach them in a way that they can understand. So the mission of a disciple maker, the someone is you. We want everyone that loves Jesus, that's a part of family church, to be ready to be a disciple maker in the life of the other. The only reason a person should say no when they're asked is because they're already discipling someone. Everybody else, we should get a passion for this. 
Come on, we're going to make discipleship culture and relational, not just projects and classrooms. So the mission is to help them understand what God's done and what God's doing next, to help them to move and take their steps from convert to learner, to help them not to get locked into an incubator where their growth is determined by random moments, but rather someone walking alongside them. That sage, that person that's gone further than them, walking alongside them, ring me anytime. Listen, can we meet up for coffee? I want to talk you through what new birth actually means. I know you lifted your hand on Sunday, but you're going to get so excited when you understand what God did in that moment. Just really all the stuff that orbits around the needed first steps of somebody coming through a conversion and becoming um, a follower of Jesus. Now, again, I compared this a little bit, and this is this is the uh, plan I've given um, to uh, the guys that are going to oversee this. Now, exciting news here. Um, we, we've developed a whole new role within Family Church, which is built around disciple making. And Sean and Paula, as many of you know, Sean and Paula are incredible disciples of people. They really are. They're going to be overseeing, if you like, disciple maker pastors or new people pastors. Their role moving forward in this season in Family Church is to make sure that each of our congregations, including our online congregation, has incredible God-loving disciple makers, DMs, as we could refer to them, that are in position and ready to be matched with somebody that's just come to the Lord. And so they're going to be, in Portsmouth, they're going to be present in that service. The moment somebody gets born again, they're going to be coming up to you if you're a part of a Portsmouth congregation going, hey, hey, I've got, I've, I've got somebody for you that I need you to walk with. And you'll be assigned that person for six weeks to make sure that they get everything they need. But also in all of our congregations, including our online congregation, there's going to be this culture and there's going to be people in position to make sure that disciple making is taking place. But Paula and Sean are going to oversee the whole um, heartbeat and culture of this. What do people experience when they come into church? What happens the moment they get born again? All these incredible, important things that come from one thing that the Lord said to me recently. As I was getting ready for church to regather, I felt the Lord say to me, make sure you mend your nets. Make sure you mend your nets. That it's one thing to catch fish, But we need to keep fish and we need to help fish to become healthy fish as soon as they're caught. So what I'm saying is this isn't the job of your church leaders. This is going to be the job of every believer, every follower that calls family church home. Get ready to be a disciple maker in the life of another person. Now, this this stuff is really the stuff that's keeping me awake with great excitement. It really is. Every believer, a disciple maker. Do you know the power of that? It helps you to grow, too. There's something so powerful when you are walking with somebody that's just given their life to the Lord and they're asking you questions that you suddenly then ask yourself. To me, actually discipling others causes your growth curve to go higher because the moment you take responsibility for someone else, you've got to make sure that you're walking out those things also in your own life. This isn't radical, this isn't crazy, this isn't some new 21st century plan. This is how the kingdom has always operated. The kingdom of God has always operated in disciple making. Let me refer to two people, one in the Gospels, which is Jesus, and the other person in the New Testament, which is Paul, as we close today. You see, here's the biblical pattern. Whatever we do, we always need to find a biblical pattern for it. That's why some of the things that people are coming up for concerning what church should look like. 
yeah, they sound nice, they sound catchy, but there's, there's no biblical pattern. We want to make sure that we stay with a biblical pattern concerning the things that the Lord said he wants to do on the earth. Getting distracted again. I'm back. Jesus, you see, you see the way that he reached those fishermen. He said, come to me and sit in a meeting with me once a week. Just newsflash, he didn't say that. He said, come and follow me and I will make you fishers of men. The making is in the following. As we allow people to follow us and we follow Christ and have others speaking into our lives, suddenly we help the person not to become a convert, but to become a disciple and a learner. So it was the way Jesus operated. He would speak into the crowd. Hey, you. Hey, you. Hey, you. You want more? Some of these people just want the blessings, but do you want more? Come and walk with me. We want our disciple makers to be walking with people. And of course, then the example that we read in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 1, which is all the ones. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 1. All the ones. Some of you will remember that forever. Paul made this statement. Follow me as I follow him. We're not asking people to follow us to arrive at us. We're asking people to follow us, to walk with us as we live a life committed to passionately walking with him. We're not talking of some Pope-like experience where a person becomes the end of the journey. No, every one of us are following one person and his name is Jesus Christ. But sometimes we can cop out from our responsibility of leading others. I can remember when I was first saved, I bought a sticker and I put it on the back of my car. It sounded kind of Christian, but it was totally wrong. And the sticker just said this, don't follow me, follow Christ. Sounds nice, but it's completely unbiblical and wrong. And once I had an understanding of God's purpose for my life to lead others, I remember getting rid of that sticker. I got rid of a car to get rid of a sticker. And I changed from, don't follow me. It sounds kind of nice, but it's rubbish. Don't follow me, follow Christ, to what Paul said. No, no, you follow me as I follow him. Follow my example of being a Christian as I follow the life that he's revealing to me. So I'm so, so excited of what our future is. And I want as many of you as possible to be excited by it also. Great commission, go into all the world. We're going to be an outward looking church. But we're going to go and make disciples, not just imagine they're going to happen. That's going to be done through very careful structural things within how we do church from this point on. But all things will be done in a relational way. And then next week I'll talk about the final part of our series. But we're going to dedicate our lives, our stages, our platforms to teaching kingdom life. Teaching people how to obey the way of living that Jesus said was the best way of living and the best way to live. If you're watching today and you've never given your life to Jesus... One simple prayer and you can move from separated to being a part of his family, from being a pauper to being a prince, to being an orphan, to being a child of God. I'm going to pray and as I pray, just say amen after me if you're watching and you've never known Jesus or you've been away from the Lord and you want to come back to him today. Heavenly Father, we thank you for all that you did in Jesus on the cross. We thank you that on the cross you were reconciling the world to yourself in Christ, not counting their trespasses against them, but bringing them into a reconciled relationship with yourself. 
thank you that when we place faith in Jesus Christ, we're born again, born from above, a new life begins. We receive that new life and we believe that Jesus is the son of God and everything he did on the cross for us was true. Amen. Amen. Just say amen and send us an email and let us know if you prayed that prayer. Andy at family.church. Love to rejoice with you, but also help you to take your next steps. See you next week for the final part of our series, Commissioned.